Hello everyone, welcome to Cloistervel, a podcast brought to you by the generous support of our patrons and hosted by us. Uh, I'm Rob. I'm Liam. And yeah, well, welcome back, or simply welcome to any new listeners. Uh, this is episode 130, or episode 1 if you prefer. New beginnings, and this is a special day, Liam. Do you know what day it is? Uh... Yeah, it's a Monday. It is a Monday. It's the podcast's fifth birthday. No. Um, <laughs> or should I have done that a bit more naturally? I don't know. Uh, yeah, five years of doing this. It's uh, It's gone incredibly quickly. When we first did the podcast, um, we started off as soon as Jodie Whittaker became the Doctor. Um, you know, five years. It's gone incredibly quickly. Um, yeah, and I think uh, the fact that, you know, we, we're still going strong as a podcast we have a we have a good listenership we must be doing something right uh within the five years so yeah it's good yeah is it taking a toll on your mental health or is it affecting you in any bad way or is it all good well as we've just come back from a break i'm feeling fresh and raring to go give um, it a few weeks give it a few weeks <laughs> and then um I, i've got to admit i was struggling a little bit um there have been times when i'm sort of str- struggling a little bit with it but um but not massively. I mean, it's not as if I'm sort of a, a glutton for punishment. <laughs> Just going, why, for the love of God, are we doing this podcast? I do enjoy it. So yeah, it's it's more, it's far more positives than negatives. Yeah, it was just, uh, just, just that time needed, needed a little bit of a break, and we we've had that now, uh, which was quite nice. It was it was quite nice to be able to focus on other things beyond Doctor Who. It was. Um, I've watched other things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, wow! It's just like, my God, there's 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 other films, <laughs> films to watch and books to read and a life to lead uh, and all the rest of it. So no, that that was quite nice. Um, so that was good, but obviously we, there's still been uh, Doctor Who news to um to keep an eye on. There's you know there's uh, we're we're still gearing up everything towards the 60th anniversary. Getting terribly excited about that. We've had the the first proper big trailer, uh, little clips. Uh, floating around. Um, Great. So, uh, what what are you having to drink tonight? Uh, just a tea for me. And okay. yourself? Well, I've got an orange pale ale. Uh, but I've also got this mini um, bottle of Baileys I want to try. It's okay. or- orange truffle flavour. Oh, so we're properly into everything everything orange. I, I, d- I didn't get that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't is this just in general? Or is this is this like uh, Halloween themed or something? Oh, that's peculiar. What is the Baileys of the beer? The Baileys, mm. orange flavored cream. Yeah, that would be, wouldn't it? Sort of the the, the tangy of a citrus Ugh. fruit with the yeah. That's oh, that it that, tastes that. like bad Christmas chocolate and mm. dark chocolate orange. Okay, with acidy cream in the middle. <laughs> Tastes of sadness. Mm. Okay, I'll drink the whole mini bottle before the night's out. When you say mini, I mean how small? <clears throat> it's is it? teeny. I'll send you a picture. All right. It's like one of those like those teeny weeny bottles that you get it, on airplanes. It, it is. Or a, in, yeah, or it's a teeny weeny bottle. And... All right. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. yeah, you can down that and then move on from it, and hopefully the beer is better. Uh, so while I'm sending that over, what you've been watching? What you've been reading, what you've been doing. 
Well, in terms of uh, films, so I've, I've basically been... Oh, hang on. Your photo's coming through. It really burns. <laughs> that doesn't so... Oh, yeah, that, that's teeny. Yeah, at least it's sort of like not a massive bottle and you feel like you feel obliged <clears throat> to finish the damn thing. It's left a really bad flavour. Mm. <laughs> well, uh, um, so in terms of films, I've been going through um, my Blu-ray collection, you know, watching films that I haven't watched in a while. Um, one of them was um, Shoah, which is a documentary film about the Holocaust, um, which came out in 1985. It's, you know, obviously very sad touching viewing but it's incredibly engaged uh very gripping and um you learning a lot more about the holocaust than you had before i've seen it before but um so watch that and the lighter end um watch serpico uh which is a film um directed by one of my favorite directors uh sydney lumet starring al pacino came out in 1973 that was based on a true story of a um of a new york cop serpico um who is an honest cop and tries to fight the um the corruption in the police force at a tremendous risk to himself it's a classic film it's really really good and it was it was nice to to watch that uh for the first time in a long time um one other thing i've been doing is i've been going through michael palin's travel documentaries uh so i've seen them countless times over the years and i've also read his diaries but i've this is the first time I've done something really obvious, which is um, watching the episodes and then as soon as the episode's finished, reading the corresponding diary entries in the book. Oh, that's interesting. So I've been doing that. I was just having uh, a flick through his North Korean one the other day. Oh, right. Okay. And? Um, yeah, nice pictures. And I read a few bits. I can't really remember. <laughs> I haven't read <laughs> Right. Okay. Well, this was his... So, uh, this is his first three series. So, I've done this with Around the World in 80 Days, Pole to Pole, and Full Circle. Um, I've taken a little bit of a break, uh, and because it's it's kind of spurred me on to do this, uh, because the next run in his series is Hemingway's Adventures. uh, Because one of of Michael Palin's favourite authors is uh, Ernest Hemingway. Uh, and I remember watching uh, Hemingway's Adventures when it was first broadcast in 1999, and I've seen it a few times over the years, and I've seen documentaries about him and and what. Yeah, but I've ne- to my shame, I've never actually read any of his stuff, uh, and I thought, well, time to rectify that. So I've read uh, his novella, The Old Man and the Sea, which is quite a nice read. Uh, it's not the best thing I've ever read, but pleasant enough. Then I've read uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls. I was just going to mention that, yeah. Yeah. Um, have you ha- have you read that or read any of his stuff? I don't know if I've read it or if it's one of those things where, you know, you think you've read it. Well, if you haven't, I definitely recommend it. So I've just finished reading that and that's one of my all-time favourite novels now. It's just absolutely fantastic. So I love that. I'm currently reading uh, um, A Farewell to Arms. I'm enjoying that. So I'm kind of going through an Ernest Hemingway binge at the moment. So I, I've I've ordered some more of his books. So I'm enjoying that at the moment. How about you? Ooh, um, not so much in the past month. I've been watching the Star Wars Ahsoka show. I've just watched the finale. Okay. Um, it was it was good. Um, it it really pays off if you've watched the animated shows. Um. Okay. But I think it would work um, if you haven't seen those as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's entertaining and it's kind of 
obviously leading into something else. I don't know if it's necessarily going to continue in another season or crossing over with the other shows or in a, in a film because I know I know they're doing a, a trilogy of films and one of them will be set in that post Return of the Jedi Mandalorian time period. Um, so I don't know if it's going to um, get resolved then because um, Grand Admiral Thrawn um, has made his first live action appearance. He was from some Star Wars books. Um, I think there was a trilogy in the 90s. Um, since become non-canon and he was reintroduced by the original author in the new canon and then into the animated show and the voice actors now played him in live action. So we've got like a new big bad guy um, in the Star Wars TV shows. Um, I've watched Evil Dead Rise. Uh, I'm a big Evil Dead fan. I love the first three. Um, the the 2013 version is also good. Big fan of the TV show. Uh, so when Evil Dead Rise was coming out, I didn't get a chance to see it at the cinema, but um, I got the Blu-ray. In fact, I ordered it off Amazon. It came. There was no sleeve on it. So I returned it. <laughs> and then I went out to Asda and got a nice one with a sleeve. Um, does, would that bother you? Um, if it were... thing is, I've got, I've got all the others with sleeves. They look, they look nice on my shelf. Oh, yeah, sorry. I was thinking, yeah, if, if it's part of a series and they've all come with sleeves and then you've got this one, which is supposed to come with one and it doesn't. Yeah, that, that would, yeah, that would yeah. slightly irk me. Um, but yeah, I got that and I've just watched it the other night. Um, my wife, is, I think she's kind of, she's not a fan of horror and she couldn't really be bothered. So I thought, well, I'll watch it by myself. And I thought this will work well because I can get the full effect of it. I'm going to turn the lights off, turn the sound up. Um, watch a scary horror film but I don't know what to make of it um, I don't know if maybe I've watched too much horror in my life but when you become desensitized yeah it, um, it, it was um, I didn't think it was scary or that entertaining you can imagine the little bits that I did appreciate was the the minor things that uh, the minor things that connected it to the other films and, and made it fit and the possibility of where it might go, um, but this, the story itself, I don't know. I, I wasn't. I was a bit underwhelmed. I think it's my least favorite of the five films. Are you a big Evil Dead fan? Uh, not massively. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I've seen two of the films, so <laughs> no, not really. Um, and it it's not out of. I mean, I'm not a massive horror fan, uh, to be honest. But I remember years ago, um, I've seen the first film. I remember really enjoying the second one in particular. Uh, and I was surprised with the most recent one. Um, I remember seeing the trailer at that at the cinema. And the, the brand new one? Yeah, yeah, the brand new one. And I, it really... One, I was surprised that uh, there was another one and that it, was, um, it wasn't Sam Raimi directing it. Uh, um, but him and Bruce Campbell did produce it. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They, so they, are, so they, they are were involved. involved. Um, but uh, one of the funny enough, there is there, there is an Ernest Hemingway reference in one of the. I think it's, it may, it may be actually the second film, where um, you know when someone's been trying to one of the uh, one of the Evil Dead have been trying to to get hold of him, and I think that if they're from the basement, 
and he uh, he slams the dough down and uh, puts a whole load of books on top. Uh, the, the very first, uh, the, the one at the very top is Ernest Hemingway's uh, A Farewell to Arms, okay. which is a bit of a joke for, for what's happened to him because he's lost his arm. Um, so, yeah, anyway, going back to the new one. So I remember seeing the trailer for it and um, it didn't quite appeal to me. Um, and one of the things about it was it, it, it didn't seem too humorous. And that was one of the great things about the, the Sam Raimi, uh, the ones that I saw. Yeah, that that it, balance of horror and comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the TV show did it did it right. Okay. Um, it really went back to the kind of the comedy of it, but it you know it, it did take itself seriously at the same time. Hmm. Um, and it it almost tried to connect all the the different continuity elements of the films. Like Ash could remember Barry and his girlfriend a couple of times. Because we've had different actresses and um, different recaps <laughs> and different things. Um, when he goes back in time to retrieve the book from the cabin, he's confused about where he got the book because in the first film he got it with his friend in the basement, and then the second film recapped it where he found it on a desk, um, a desktop upstairs, hmm. and he's he's like he can kind kind of, kind of remember both of those. Um, so that's interesting in a fun kind of way. Um, and I think I'm happy how the series ended. Have you not watched any of Ash vs. Evil Dead? Uh, no, I haven't. Right. It, it is uh, on... one thing, at some point, I, I definitely one thing I definitely want to watch, just because it sounds thoroughly entertaining, I definitely want to watch the third film at some point. Mm. Radically different. It, it takes... Mm. It, it continues the humour of the second one and doesn't bother with the horror... <laughs> All right, okay. Um, it's a lot of fun. I love Army of Darkness. Mm. Yeah. So um, we've just passed seven hundred followers, but it's just on X, so we're not bothered with that. Formerly known as Twitter, mm. the <laughs> app formerly known as Twitter. We actually got a nice review from Sonia on the website. Yes, we did. We did. Do you want to read it out? Uh, yeah, I'll find it. So I'm not on closebarpodcast dot com. Where are the reviews? Where are they? Um. Extra ratings and reviews. We're just using this as an excuse to blow our own trumpet, but it was a, it was a really nice review. Thank you, Sonia. Uh, she said, "It is always a good time listening to Rob and Liam dissect episodes, talk about life and other media. There's always thoughtful and humorous discussions. Solid listen every time. We better throw in a bit of humor today. <laughs> well, we'll try. I feel like the pressure's on now. Uh, so what? What next? We, have we even um, mentioned why we're here? It's not just for our birthday. Well, it's actually for the for the purpose of the, like recording a podcast. Uh, I was going to say, without further ado, shall we get on with it? But yeah, so we're going to go back to a Doctor Donner episode. It's the fires of Pompeii. Hmm. Uh, before we do, a um, couple of things. There's been a trailer for the anniversary. You watched that? Yeah. Oh yes, yes, I've seen that. You yeah. seen it? Yeah. Any thoughts? Well, I'm excited. <laughs> I really enjoy. I, re- I thought it was a very good trailer. Um, it's the first time in a lo- well, uh, first time in a long time. Um, something about new Doctor Who has genuinely excited me, uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. So, um, some really nice tantalising glimpse. It it is confirmed the villain is the Celestial Toy Maker. You called it. 
I mean, everyone uh, kind of yeah. knew. I mean, I wasn't the only one, in all fairness, but uh, but yeah. Um, so uh, prior to our break, one of the stories that we reviewed was the Celestial Toy Maker. I mean, we would have reviewed it at some point, but it, we we got round to it on the basis that for the sixtieth, the character's coming back. So yeah, uh, and the Star Beast. Oh yes, and the Star Beast. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll whack uh, the trailer on quick. Sometimes I think there's something missing. Like I had something lovely. And it's gone. I lie in bed thinking. What have I lost? No other's friend. Called Donna Noble. I had to wipe her memory to save her life. If she remembers me, she will die. So what happens next? The spaceship crashes right in front of her. It's like she's drawing us in. What the hell? We've got a bloody Martian in the shed. Don't look. Meet me. Here we go again. I don't believe in destiny, but if destiny exists, then it is heading for Donna Noble. And I've got a memory. After a very long time, something's coming back. Who are they? There's something so bad the TARDIS ran away. Yes. Then we go and kick it off! Kate Lethbridge Stewart! What do we do this time, Doctor? How do we fight the human race? Something enter this world. Oh, but he is recognizing me. Who is he? The one who waits. Open fire! Why does it have to be this? Your fight is with me! I don't know if I can save your life this time. Yeah, exciting stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, even listening to the audio of that, it's a trailer we're supposed to be watching as well, but just listening to the audio, uh, it was just going, wow. I love that bit, the, you know, the, uh, the bit of the fact that the TARDIS uh, runs away. Mm-hmm. Just going, wow, it's that bad. Um, so, yeah, it's terribly exciting. I'm really looking forward to the uh, to the anniversary special. Did, I, I take it, uh, did you enjoy the trailer? Yeah, what's the general um, opinion out there? Do people like it? I think so. Um, I mean, I haven't really been sort of going out, going out my way to to to, uh, to actually look on, on uh, online comments, but from mm. the from some that I've come across, it um, it does seem to be that uh, people are enjoying it. So there's a lot in there. There's obviously elements from the Star Beast comic. Um, mm. Some elements I don't really want to go into because it's kind of spoiler territory. If no one's read that, yeah. Um, so I think yeah, I think great trailer there was something there which i hadn't cottoned on to before but I, I suppose just listening to the audio made me obviously focus on it i'm sure there's a bit of the music which uh remind uh which sounds like a, it's quoting the music from the episode utopia all right yeah there's just a little bit it just seems to just quote some of the music from there so don't know whether it, that means anything or just because it's great dramatic music what, what but, could so. that mean 
Yeah. Mm. What could that mean? <laughs> it's just good dramatic music or is the mm. master involved? We don't know, but maybe. <laughs> um so yes, we have the toy maker, we have Beep the Meep, mm. got Donna back, Sylvia Noble. Um will a granddad be back? Will Wilf be back? Is that no? Yes, it, 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 um, was obviously, it, it was obviously filmed, but yeah. um, he passed away. I don't don't know if it was during or shortly after. Yeah, well, fr- from from memory, I'm sure Russell T. Davis has said that uh, all all of his scenes were filmed uh, prior to his death. So everything that um, I mean, so everything was done. So yeah, it would I mean, be they, his they, ever. they could they could um, get someone else to fill his role in the episode. Um, do you know how it went down with Partners in Crime? Um, you know how Wilf is in that with his telescope and um, he's he's a bit of a maternal figure, um, paternal figure to um, to Donna because um, mm. her dad's not there. Um, yeah, because the actor passed away. He did. And if anyone's got the DVDs, you can check out that there's a, they actually shot... The, the scenes with the father um, oh before. I didn't oh I didn't know that so okay. it's it's more or less word for word the scenes with uh, Donna and Wilf but with her dad um, but he died during production so mm. it was replaced with Wilf yeah okay I didn't know that anyway uh, should we get on to the Pfizer Pompeii we should uh, yeah so Sorry, I'm a bit unprepared. I didn't get a plot synopsis for this. <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> Naughty me. I'll tell you what, we'll, <laughs> we'll do it in a bit reverse. We'll do the cast and crew, and then we'll find out what the heck it's all about. I mean, <laughs> right, I could just okay. improvise. and uh, Why don't I just make it up? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, the TARDIS arrives um, um, in the... Uh, oh, I can get this. Is it... Uh, come on, Rob! Come on! Fif- come on! Come on! Fifty? No, no. Hold no. on. Eight eighty. Ah, I'm getting there. Eighty-six AD. No, 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 no. Too far ahead. BC. No, it's AD. Uh, Fifty. Fifty-two. No, no. Hold on, no, no. Don't tell me. It'll come to me. But the TARDIS arrives there, and the Doctor <laughs> thinks he's in Rome. Um. But they're not, because um, there's not seven hills, there's one, there's one big Vesuvius, and um, the people are turning into stone prematurely, and uh, they're breathing in the dust from the heat vents, and the Doctor meets Peter Capaldi, uh, but it's not Peter Capaldi, it's Caecilius, and um, he doesn't swear a lot, um, people presumed he would because of the thick of it, but he doesn't... Um, <laughs> And there's some um, questionably effective CGI rock monsters. Um, Karen Gillan's in there too. And um, everyone dies. <laughs> so the cast and crew for this one, The Doctor, played by David Tennant, Donna Noble, Catherine Tate. Stallholder was Phil Cornwell. The initial soothsayer that we see is Karen Gillan. Um who, of course, plays Amy. How early was this for her? So this is series four, plus the specials. But this, is, this is a good four years before she appears. I think so, yeah. Mm. Uh, and in her career, I think it's probably very early on. 
Spirina is Sasha Bahar. Thelina, Lorraine Burroughs. Caecilius Peter Capaldi. Metella, Tracy Childs. Evelina, Francesca Fowler. Quintus, um, Frankios Pandolfo. I'm no good at names. Uh, the High Priestess was Victoria Wicks. Major Domo, Jared Bell. And Lucius was Phil Davis. So uh, lame. Um, I chose this episode because it would be a good Dr. Donna story to kind of do before the anniversary. Um, mm-hmm. But also, Big Finish done a Pompeii story a long time ago. It was Sylvester McCoy's first official solo adventure with Bonnie Langford as Mel, um, where they arrived in uh, the day before Vesuvius erupts. So I thought it would be good to kind of do a two-parter, so in a few weeks we can go and check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we can do, do a bit of a comparison. So how would you like to do this? Are we just going to do the, the tr- traditional breaking down the story and talking about it? Yeah, yeah, we can do. Uh, one thing, just going back to it, because I, I think in terms of... I think you've made a really good choice of, of a Dr. Donna um, story. Because... One could have picked, you know, the runaway bride, which introduces uh, the character of Donna, which was interesting because she was only supposed to be a one-off, but she subsequently comes back uh, in Partners in Crime, the very first episode of Series 4. Mm. Um, but that's effectively reintroducing the character. And there's a little bit of a difference, uh, I think, in Catherine Tate's performance, uh, mm. which I think is is much welcomed. I mean, I loved Catherine Tate and the Runaway Bride. I think it was one of the few people who did back in the day. Um, Because I think a lot of people found her gobby and irritating. But I really liked her. And I remember at the time saying she would be a great regular companion. I I thought I wasn't going to like her, but then I did. Instantly. Yeah, yeah. And I think, well, initially, I think when she was announced, I think a lot of, like, to be a regular, I think a lot of fans were kind of going, oh, really? It's not going to work? Because they were basing basing that totally, completely understandably on how she was in The Runaway Bride, but it's she's much more fleshed out and there's a lot more that Catherine, Kate can do with the, uh, Catherine Tate can do with the character. It's it's not just this brash, gobby, comedy-like thing, if you like. Yeah. Um, so Partners in Crime brings her back in. And I do, you know, the reason, I think it's a quite a good uh, episode, but it, it's much more comedic. This is, I would say, the first proper um, story for you know showcasing donna so i think it's a very good choice rob thank you uh, <laughs> so let's let's break down the story so the doctor and donna arrive in where they believe is rome and um the the sets are amazing um i learned in confidential the behind the scenes episode that um they actually went to rome and filmed this on a set for a series called rome if I remember rightly. Yeah, I remember Rome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think they were obviously very fortunate. And, and I think it was the first time Doctor Who had um, left the country to kind of do a story since um, The Two Doctors, if you're excluding the TV movie. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like a big undertaking for them. Um, yeah, and it works really well. The scope of the city is um, reasonably big. Um, even though it's just narrow streets and alleys, um, 
I don't think they could have achieved this back home. Um, so they meet a local stall holder and Donna tests out the TARDIS translation. Um, she has a different reaction to that of Rose. Rose was obviously quite annoyed that uh, the Doctor didn't tell her that the TARDIS gets inside her head. But um, yeah, Donna approaches it in, in a more practical way. She's thinking, well, how does this work? If I speak Latin, will they hear Latin? But no, she just she just sounds Welsh apparently. Yeah, it's one of my favourite scenes ever, really, and I, I do do really like it where she, you know, Veni Vici, I've forgotten the Latin now. Um, you know, it, it just go and then um, the shopkeeper go, no, me speaky Celtic, <laughs> uh, just the way Donna goes, yeah, and then just goes off. I just, I one, I love the scene and how it's written, but it's 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 just wonderfully performed. It it's just nice. It is, yeah. Soon they see Mount Vesuvius and realise, yep, they're in Pompeii and it's Volcano Day. Um, and this cuts to the titles. Mm-hmm. So after witnessing their arrival, Karen Gillan, who is a sister of the Sibylline, um, rushes to inform the sisterhood that a blue box has been prophesied to arrive. So the Doctor and Donna run back to the TARDIS, only to find that it's gone. So they go, and see, they go to see that stall holder who has sold it. And he's like, yeah, lovely jubbly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so he sold it to old Caecilius, who is mm-hmm. Peter Capaldi. And uh, yeah, Caecilius admires it in his new home as modern art. Is that a reference to City of Death? Oh, I never thought of it. Uh, d- d- it could be. I never thought of that. Mm, maybe. Yeah, because there is that whole thing about the Todd as being modern art and not being able to scratch. You know what, Robert probably is, and I've been stupid and haven't really noticed it. Um, sorry, just have some more my Baileys. I'm just going to down the lot because I've been sipping it and it's just horrible. Yeah, just down it. Right, I'm good to go. Okay, uh, carry so, on. So, there is a tremor in the house, so Caecilius and his family run to save their possessions. Um, you think they just put it on the floor? Well, just have everything littering the floor, Rob. Well, if there's, if there's over, constant like, busts quakes. And, and vases and... Yeah. I mean, surely they're not always home. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. So the daughter, Evelina's promised to the sisterhood of the Sibylline, um, and she's been consuming the vapours from beneath the city because there's all these big vents. And... Uh, yeah, and she's she's seen the face of a CGI rock man as well. <laughs> Are you not a fan of the CGI, Rob? <laughs> I, well, I am. Um, hmm. I like my historicals to be... Um, well, all the historicals really have aliens in, don't they? Um, it's nice when they don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do like a, a good straight historical, but you're going way back in the 60s. Oh, no, actually, I think the last one was Black Orchid, so the 80s. Yeah. But other than that, I think, yeah, they, um, they do end up having aliens yeah. in them. But yeah, was that was that rock dude looking straight up at her, or was he just symbolising that they're down there somewhere? Hmm. Don't know. Don't know. So Donna wants to help evacuate Pompeii. But the doctor protests, insisting that they need to find the TARDIS and leave. Um, yeah, Donna's reaction's quite genuine. Would you try and evacuate the city? 
<laughs> I couldn't be asked. Um, no, I think... <laughs> let them burn. Yeah, Doctor, it's a fixed point in time, whatever. Can't be bothered. Get in the TARDIS. Off we go. Um, no, I, th- I think uh, if you... Obviously, if, if you're not a, a callous, cold-hearted person like me, uh, then, yeah, you, you you would want to try and save as, as many people as possible. I think having this as a... Um, uh, as her as her first proper story as it were um you know she's thrown into it an adventure and it it gives her that moral quandary to to ponder with you know and it's quite a philosophical question to deal with but james uh moran who who writes the story i think does it in quite a a deft way it's not so heavy-handed as to you know it's it's not it's not a depressing story this uh i think it's just pitched perfectly well um and it, it you know it, it show it shows how strong she is as a character that you know she has this strong moral uh compass and she's more than willing and capable of standing up to the doctor and this you know this has become a um a theme if you like or something very apparent when the show came back that uh, the doctor needs somebody. Yeah, actually, you're right. Yeah, it really does showcase like who she is as a person, mm. and that the doctor does need someone because yeah, he can kind of go off the rails a bit, can't he? Yeah, yeah. So in that uh, in, in that sense, it sort of kills two birds with one stone. It it mm. really showcases her as a character, and it's it's superbly done. But also the fact that um, what makes really what makes the doctor the doctor is the relationship that he has with his human companions so they go off to caecilius's house um and introduce themselves as spartacus and spartacus <laughs> yeah we get the whole i am spartacus bit yeah do you think anyone would get that reference now well i don't i don't know because i was watching it with my wife last night hmm. and I kind of, I kind of just turned my head and I thought, did you get that reference? But then I just couldn't be bothered to explain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because um, I think, I think for, I mean, I remember watching this episode when it was first broadcast, and I think a lot of people then, you know, th- this famous film from the late nineteen fifties, uh, starring Kirk Douglas, directed by Stanley Kubrick, uh, and there's this famous scene where he goes you know i'm spartacus and then everyone everyone else says you know i'm spartacus you know it's just a nice little reference um but i'm wondering now if is it is it so culturally known would 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 anyone get that reference now i mean i'd be depressed if they didn't but uh most people would surely get that i'm brian at least oh yes (laughs) (laughs) no i'm brian i'm brian and so's my wife (laughs) Yeah, maybe they think it's a reference to Monty Python's Life of Brian. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Caecilius does say, are you husband and wife? And they, they're quick to dismiss that. Um, mm. I can't quite remember, but I feel like we get, they get that a couple of times in this series. People who make, make an assumption that they're a couple. And it's, it's all right to joke about, but um, I feel like the Doctor and Donna... Um, it's the first time we've had a duo where, uh, or maybe it's just the way I see it, but they are just like two friends or like, mm-hmm. or more like brother and sister. Um, there's no, um, 
big ambiguity or question of is this a romantic relationship? Um, mm-hmm. Do you see it that way? Yeah. Oh yeah, very much so. It's made it's made clear. It's made yeah. very clear. That's not what they dyna- what that dynamic is. Yeah. Uh, and In I think, fa- I mean, you could say that um, we get it. This sort of it's a bit of a running gag. Maybe it's a little bit heavy handed, but I think it was it was to showcase that they're just friends. Yeah. And that's very important. That's the relationship that they have. Because when the show came back, um, there was a romantic relationship that developed between the Doctor and Rose, and that was between Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant's Doctor. Then when she leaves, uh, that's she's replaced um, with a character, Martha. And that whole dynamic was unrequited love. Martha has romantic feelings to the Doctor, but it's mm-hmm. not reciprocated. Um, so... And and then this is this is just something else, and it's made very clear in Partners in Crime, at the very end when, when Donna's entering the TARDIS, you know, uh, it's that joke of going, uh, I just want a mate. You just want to mate? No, I just want to mate. Well, you're not mating with me, Sunshine, and all that. And then of course you get, and then you get this, and then um, the Ood episode, uh, which I think immediately follows this, if if I remember rightly. Um, uh, it's it's mentioned in there as well of just you know that they uh, that they're definitely not man and wife, mm. and it's mentioned again in Unicorn and the Wasp. So it's like right, okay, we get it. <laughs> they're yeah, just friends. I don't mind that it's mentioned. Maybe it doesn't need to be mentioned all the time, but yeah. um, from the relationship, I think as a viewer, like, we know this. Um, mm-hmm. It's conveyed really well, and I think it's just what we needed after three series. Of, Ma- of Rose and Martha. Yeah, very much so. And I actually think that... I mean, I'm not someone who's opposed to that uh, romantic relationship yeah. between the Doctor and his companion. Although, given the age gap between a Time Lord and a human, just <laughs> kind of... It's like, don't look too much into it. They're adults. Yeah. Leave it at that. Um, but uh, I, I'm not opposed to it. But I I personally do think that the the dynamic works far more better when they're clearly friends. Yeah. And it's interesting that of of the series, series four was the one that really um, cemented the popularity of the show and is really beloved. So the show came back in two thousand and five, as we know, and it was it hit the ground running in terms of the popularity of it, and you know it just get, it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But with series four, it was massive. I mean, we were living this, through Rob, and I think I think even now we forget how popular the show was. And it was hugely, hugely popular. Um, and a big part of that was, um, you know, David Tennant. I mean, he was at the height of his popularity. Everyone loved him as the Doctor. And then there was just something about this dynamic between him and Donna and Catherine Tate performing that part uh, opposite um, Tennant. Just people, people really, really responded to that. It's one of the reasons why... Well, it's the reason why, with the show about to celebrate its 60th anniversary, Tennant and Tennant and Tate are back. Yeah, and it's it's weird because she wouldn't have been my first choice or first assumption for someone they'd bring back, but it, it the way you say it, yeah, it makes complete sense. I remember at the time because well, when was this broadcast? Two thousand seven. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was I was twenty. Uh, God, wow. I was twenty. 
yeah, I was I was twenty. Just a baby. Oh, God, I feel old now. Um, I was twenty at the time. I was at university, and it was just every. It, it didn't. It it just seemed to be. It didn't matter who you were. Everyone knew Doctor Who. Everyone was watching it, and everyone loved it. And I remember times just thinking, "Wow, this is." I never thought, you know. I mean, when we were growing up in what's called the wilderness years, now never thought that you know you would be living at this point when Doctor Who is so culturally known and is so popular it was it was a great thing to experience actually and um yeah just uh, yeah so th- it was it was massive but anyway, that's the point I'm, I'm laboring the point now but even just um on a recent rewatch just the opening titles it's got an energy that the show hasn't had in a while yeah and i, w- I was thinking about this actually obviously when i was re-watching the, the episode where i think Another reason why Series 4 just was as popular as it was, was it j- everyone knew what they were doing at that point. The, the The confidence was there. The show had come back in 2005. Everyone was a bit trepidatious. They didn't know whether the return would work, if it would be well-received. It was. Um, then they, they had... Um, and then they hit gold. With all due respect to uh, Christopher Eccleston, they really hit gold with David Tennant. I mean, personally speaking, he's not one of my favourite Doctors, but nonetheless, you know, he's a good actor and he plays that part really well. Um, and it just... It just hit. And... Um, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> what was the thing that you said, Rob? <laughs> Um, the energy that the show had back then. Oh the yes, music. yeah, that was yeah. it. And so, so that they hit gold with David Tennant, and it was just series two. I think narratively was a bit. Mm. What really worked was the actors, I think, more than anything. And then they would just seem to be getting a little bit better with what they could do with the production and the stories. Mm-hmm. And then with series four, I think everything just clicked, and they knew exactly what they were doing and the best what they could do, and so on. It was just something about series four, just. It, it, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was probably a lot of hard work and a lot of pain, but it was probably a lot easier than what had gone on before because you know they they had three years behind them. They knew what they could do now, and it was just everything was ripe. Everything was in place just for the, the show to really hit gold. And my God, I think they did it. Yeah. So there's just a huge confidence, and yeah, there's that energy. Um, that uh, yeah, the show hasn't had that in a long time. I mean, I love the Matt Smith era. And of the of the new Doctors, Matt Smith is my favourite. Yeah, my, my favourite is series five out of his. Yes, it's same here. First, yeah. But it but that has a completely different feel, obviously, because it's a different production team as well as a, a, as new regulars and so on. But it doesn't it doesn't have anywhere near the the same level of energy. It's something completely different to this mm-hmm. series. Um, uh, I think it's a little bit more. I don't know, a little bit more atmospheric, I suppose. But there's something about the energy of, of this series, yeah. And the, the show hasn't had that in a long time. Yeah, so I hope, I hope it's got it next month. I'm, sh- I'm sure it has. <laughs> uh, so we better crack on with the story before we keep everyone here too long. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Doctor offers to um, take the TARDIS off their hands because... He's kind of masquerading as a inspector of Marble Inspector. Marble yeah. Inspector, yeah. Because Caecilius is like a, a stonemason. 
and he's been making these marble circuits for somebody. Um, and this somebody turns up. It's the the chief auger, Lucius Pe- Petrus Dextus. Pe- Lucius Petrus Dextrus? Yeah. Which I think somehow... Or Lucius for short. <laughs> Lucy. <laughs> um, it's somehow like uh, it translates into stone arm or something. Ah, oh, right, okay. Bit so. on the nose, that, isn't it? Yeah. Considering <laughs> that he arm. has a stone arm. Yeah. He was named after the very condition he would later have. What are the odds? Mm. Um, so he arrives and um, talking a load of nonsense and the doctor impresses him with his own nonsensical intellect and then Caecilius reveals the stone circuit to Lucy. And the, the doctor's intrigued with that. It's a bit out of place. Um, the daughter, Evelina, arrives on the scene saying that they're mocking them. And then she uses her ability to kind of spout off and name the doctor as a doctor and um, Donna as Noble. And then Lucius jumps into uh, mentioning Gallifrey and London and how Rose is returning and something on Donna's back. Mm. Do you think this scene is good or smart? I know I know the scene is delivered well with all the, the big dramatic music and mm. all the big name drops that, that's in there. Um, but do you, did you like the scene? I did, yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, I liked the episode when it was first broadcast all those years ago. But um, Just when you were uh, a kid. Yeah, just... <laughs> um, but I, I think I probably at the time thought it was a little bit on the nose and rolled my eyes a bit at it. Uh, but watching it now, it's just I, th- I thought it was really good. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was written well. Uh, I thought it was performed well. It had that just that that right level of of playing it dramatically but but not taking it too seriously just seriously enough i th- i just think it was pitched really well and of course just having these big reveals i mean at the time when it, also placing it within the context of when this was originally broadcast you know if you were a if you were someone new to the show um you know the fact you know the Gallifrey's being mentioned and he's a lot of time and they know about Donna but the fact that Donna's being brought into this as well it's not just all about the Doctor and of course mm. we know that this whole thing about there's something on her back uh, pays off later on with um, with the episode Turn Left yes. um, so it's given these hints that there's something as well as the events of the story there's something much bigger going on which will pay off later on in the series so uh, I think as a as the development of a story arc uh, it's really intriguing. As a piece of drama, uh, self-contained within the episode, I think it really works. It, it it actually demonstrates that somehow these people have this ability. It does. Uh, and it yeah. introduces a really interesting um, element in the story. The fact that the Doctor's home was lost in fire. And mm. then the whole thing of Vesuvius and the Doctor making a choice at the end is a complete parallel for the Time War. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think um, James Moran does a really good job uh, as the as writer yeah. of this. Um, even the fact that it, it predates the day of the Doctor, it, it's quite striking how much of a parallel it is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's all good. So Evelina faints. Um, apparently she had food poisoning, which helped her performance. <laughs> oh, okay, right. She was in quite a bad state. Oh, right, okay. 
Well, yeah, um, d- 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 yeah. Use use whatever you have to your advantage. I mean, it's not a pleasant thing. I wouldn't wish poison <laughs> on anyone, but uh, yeah, good performance. Yeah, good on her. So yeah. the the mother looks after her, and Donna um, sees that she's got a stone arm. Hmm. Uh, and I think earlier on we we might have had a glimpse of the um, what's her face? Is it the Reverend? No, the the woman at the uh, the sisterhood. The main one, or the one that's shrouded and is completely stone. The 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 one that's shrouded. Yeah, we we I right. think we might might have seen a glimpse of her as yeah, stone. Yeah. Um, but then this is the first time we see um, Evelina's arm is turned into stone. Um, which is um, it's like ironic because like the population of Pompeii has been preserved, uh, like um, when they've been excavated, um, all the people are still there, um. After all these years, because they were buried in ash. Hmm. Also, Caecilius shows the doctor the hot spring vents. Um, yeah, one of the few scenes we actually get with Caecilius, Caecilius and the doctor alone. Um, because, of course, Peter Capaldi, he becomes the doctor, doesn't he, at some point? Um, yeah. He's our generation's Colin Baker. He seems quite young, doesn't he, in this? <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, they're looking at the hot spring vents and Caecilius says that there was an earthquake um, perhaps 17 years prior and that that's when all the soothsayers' predictions um, was spot on because <laughs> they've been um, breathing in the vapours mm-hmm. from Vesuvius. So the doctor gets the son, Quintin, to take him to Lucius's place. And inside, mm-hmm. they find lots of marble circuits. And and the doctor kind of concludes that these must have been made by different people. Um, so that they didn't know what they were building. Not that they, were, not that they would have known what they were building anyway, but whatever. <laughs> so Lucius confronts them. And then the, the doctor kind of arranges the circuits and tells Lucius that it's an energy converter. So he sentences them to death, and the doctor grabs Lucy, grabs Lucy's hand and pulls it off. Um, yeah, rips his arm off. Apparently, there was an original take where he pulls Lucy's arm off, throws it, and smashes it on the floor. Oh, okay. If that is the case, I'm pleased that they redid the scene. I think that there would have been a bit too much. Hmm. Yeah, it kind of mm, crosses the line anyway where he rips his arm off, don't you think? It could be, but I mean, considering that um, what's about to happen, you know, they're about to be made prisoners at best, at worst, they're going to they're about to be lynched. It's a good distracting moment. So Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> so Evelina helps Donna get dressed and she explains to Donna that she's been promised to the sisterhood and she asks her what, um, Donna asks Evelina what she sees tomorrow. But she doesn't see any, anything bad happening. You know, she says, the sun will rise, the sun will set, nothing different will happen. So Donna tells her this new prophecy, um, the fall of Pompeii. And she communicates this to the sisterhood who are watching, who see the new prophecy and they want Donna to die. <laughs> when the Doctor and Quintus leave Lucius's place, Lucius sets the CGI stone creature on them. So it follows them underground and it knocks over a lot of chickens on the street. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And it follows them back to Caecilius' house. 
breaks open the floor vent. Yeah, and attacks them. It, it burns us. It burns the house's slave. Is that what we call him? Servant. I complete, to be perfectly honest, Rob, I completely forgot that happened. They've got they've got like a servant, and the rock guy just breathes lava on him, and he's gone. Mm. Well, that would uh, do it. Yeah, it would do it. Yeah, the sisterhood comes in and grabs Donna while everyone's not looking. Then they splash the creature with some water, and it just crumbles away. Mm. So, um, one last thought on the the rock creatures: Do you think they were effective? I think, yeah, for, for the story. I mean, I know you keep on mentioning the fact. I, I think you've got a problem with the CGI, Rob. Um, I actually think it holds up quite well. Yeah. Um, I didn't look at this and go, ooh, it's ropey or just whatever. Um, maybe, maybe I was... Maybe it is a bit. Maybe I was uh, f- forgiving of it because I was enjoying the story. But no, I think it's a, it's a good design. It's it's They're realised well. Um, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. It's not, not, not that bad. Uh, so Donna's about to be sacrificed by the sisterhood and the doctor arrives to stop it. I mean, so, sorry to interrupt, Rob. I mean, I think bad CGI in, in, in Doctor Who is... Okay, well, is there some really good examples of bad CGI? Um... Well, it's a, it's a David Tennant episode and it was just in the series before it. Um, it's the episode... I've forgotten the name of it now, but it's the episode with Mark Gatiss. Oh my God, where Mark Gatiss's CGI face... Is on that CGI body. Yes, yeah, that's the Lazarus. Not, that's experiment. bad CGI. Oh. That's tr- even a, and that's not just a case of CGI dating. And you look at it, and yeah, it looks bad now. No, 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 it looked bad at the time. That's like some PlayStation Two stuff. Yeah, yeah, it actually reminded me of um, the monster because it, it's funny enough. Something similar happens to one of the, uh, the the villains in Resident Evil Four. It reminded me of that. Um, yeah, now, that, now that's bad CGI. It was bad at the time when it was originally broadcast. And that was only the year before. That's mm. bad CGI. This is nowhere near that. So, mm. yeah. The <laughs> yeah. CGI in Fires and Pompeii, Rob, is, is decent. At, at the very least, it's decent CGI. Yes, it could be worse. It could have Mark Gatiss' face on it. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Donna's about to be sacrificed and the Doctor arrives to save her. Releases her with a sonic. It gets a use. Actually, he used the sonic earlier to knock the marble stones over. Doesn't do wood, but it does marble. Well, sonic vibrations, it made it fall. Yeah. The, um, so uh, the doctor mentions meeting Sybil and how she how she'd be ashamed of the of the um, sisterhood. And the high priestess wants to speak to the doctor. So we discover that she's completely completely turned to stone. Um, in fact, they all are. Um, okay, let's go away from dodgy CGI effects. What about? It's not the... dodgy CGI, Rob. Get over it's it. Not... It's good. Yeah. Okay, from from just CGI. Okay, with, with the um, the stone sister behind behind the veil. Is this effective? Do you think? What? I, I don't know. Do you think it looks good? Horrific or what? humorous? What looks good? What are you talking about? The makeup of the stone lady. Yeah. Yeah, that was effective. Okay, fair enough. No, com- <laughs> do, no complaints. Do you not? I don't know. I thought it looked a bit sketchy when she's screaming, I am Pyroval. Maybe that's just the performance. I don't know. But no, Maybe. I thought that was, thought, thought was fine. Um, so the doctor gets out his water pistol and mm. they leg it into Vesuvius. So they escape deeper into the volcano or what they think is a volcano. And Lucius summons the cult of Vulcan. 
to carry the circuits for him to the mountain, where they meet a giant CGI rock bloke. Evelina sees a new vision that uh, someone will have to make a terrible choice, mm-hmm. foreshadowing what's about to happen. And the doctor explains to Donna that um, he can see what's fixed and what's in flux. And this is a fixed point that cannot be changed. Uh, so, yeah, that's why the doctor's reluctant to do, to do anything, because you know it has to happen. So they reach the heart of the mountain and they find the pyrovials. And there's something at the center, perhaps an escape pod. And Lucius is there too. And he spots them and they run to the pod and the pyrovials attack. Anything to add, Healy? No? No, no, just um, uh, Phil Davis doing Phil Davis. Um, he always tend to, he, it's a good performance. Look at me, he always tends to do this sort of thing, doesn't he? Whenever he rocks up, it's that sort of uh, <laughs> twisted, nasty bloke. Yeah. He does it very well. Um, <laughs> that's it, really. That's all I had to say. Um, so Lucius does um, tell the Doctor what the plan is, that the Pyrovels would like to spread and create a bigger empire than Rome. Um, we learn that Pyrovilia was lost, would eventually learn why, in the Stolen Earth. Mm-hmm. And the Doctor realises that Vesuvius was never going to blow up and that he's the one that will make it happen. So he has to make a choice. It's Pompeii or the world. So, yeah, this is the big bad choice. Mm. The big moral dilemma. I guess it's no a no-brainer. You don't want to kill everyone. but No, um, but I mean, it's still a heavy choice because a lot of people are still going to die. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not just the number, one person is, you know, it's, it is a big thing. I think this is, uh, for the most part, I think uh, at this point, this has been, a, I would say, a very well-made, well-structured, written, performed um, story, um, which is uh, a little bit light to some extent. But this is when it really, you know, this is when the drama really kicks in and you get this, you know, this moral quandary. And I think it's done really well um, the way that, the way that it's been building up to this moment, the way that it is explained, uh, Donna's reaction to it, um, as is the Doctor's. And it's a big, strong bonding moment between them because um, what I think is in what I think what is interesting, what they do with with Donna, is they they make her make the decision where they both do it. It's not just a case of the Doctor pressing down this lever and the whole uh, the whole volcano goes up. It's um, Donna puts the the hands on the on the lever as well, and it's something that they both do. So it difficult decision. Though it is, um, it's a decision that they both reach and mm-hmm. they both do it. Um, where the difference then lies is, of course, the, the reaction to it. The, the doctor is, Donna is still adamant of trying to save as many people as possible. But, of course, at this point, the volcano has, has erupted and um, Donna clearly knows her, uh, her history. Talking of which, Rob, have you remembered the year this story is set in? Leave it with me. Uh, it'll come to me at the end. <laughs> okay, we'll get onto that at the end. But um, she clearly knows her history because she's telling people... Um, 29 you know, AD. Try, try to get to the high... What? Is it 29? No, but you got one of the digits right. Um, so the 
the um she she's you know trying to warn people of go to the high ground do not go uh, don't go down to the docks because in reality obviously people were trying to do that they were trying to get to the uh, the boats but that that was obviously that they didn't know this but that was a completely wrong thing to do why um, just bottleneck or something what happened well it was just the amount of uh, ash and volc- uh, lava and uh, the the rocks that were falling um the uh the dock was one of the most heavily hit areas a lot of people died as well as the fact that you had you know pretty much the whole of pompeii trying to get off the island um that uh you know, th- there were lots of people there anyway but yeah it became nigh impossible to, to leave and a lot of people died there so donna knows her history and she's trying to, to warn people not to go there but of course no one's listening and everyone's in a blind panic and then this leads into the uh, the, the thing of just that that brilliant scene and my god Catherine Tate performs it really well that whole thing of just just save one person it doesn't have to be uh it doesn't have to be the whole of Pompeii just one person Mm. uh she's already had to go through the gut-wrenching thing of seeing Mm. Caecilius and his family and walking away from them as well yeah um she you know she stays the only reason why obviously because there's the survival instinct but she hears the TARDIS is about to take off but thankfully the doctor manages to listen and and they do manage to save that one family Mm. um so that you know it lessens the it it allows the story to have a little bit of a lift uh because this family whom we've got to know during the running of the episode has has managed to survive just Mm. at the end of it so you know there's an emotional payoff then. I think it's it's handled um, well. And then they stand in the distance, looking over Pompeii, mm. um, while everyone's trying to flee. I think this is the, and and Peter Capaldi plays that scene really, really well. He does, mm. and and he introduces the word volcano. It's so volcanic, like some sort of volcano. Yeah, I love the way he delivers that line. Yeah, mm. just the way he enunciates it. And, and only the way that he seemed to, uh, the only way that Peter Capaldi can. That's mm. a great performance. He just, yeah, it, it's a, it, it's his moment at the end, I think. It is, yeah. Uh, so now that everyone's visions have gone, uh, we learn this through Evelina, um, the Doctor st- explains that, I think, he says like a rift in time opened briefly, echoing back through the Pyravillian alternative. Hmm. It's a very quick and not an easy explanation, but I, I do understand it. I, th- I think it's basically um, the fixed point in time. Well, obviously Vesuvius wasn't going to erupt, yeah, hmm. and the Doctor changed that outcome. Um, and maybe you know what? Maybe I don't understand quite how everyone <laughs> got their visions. No, no. There, so there's this fixed point in time. But uh, which is that uh, Vesuvius erupts, but the outcome of that eruption uh, was a bit in, was a bit in flux. You go through uh, what actually happened, which is that uh, the the CGI monsters that you have a big issue with, Rob, uh, they're destroyed or they're not. And it was that possible possible alternative where where they survive. And obviously, th- if they were, that completely alters the uh, the direction that you know what happens on Earth. Mm. Um, which alters the timeline dramatically. And it was that possibility which has a ripple in time, uh, which um, 
oh god i feel like i'm skating on thin ice at this point uh and and that's what uh caused uh time to do weird stuff and go back and give people soothsayer like powers but now that that's now that that uh has been destroyed that they they don't have have that yeah I'm, uh, it's convincing isn't it you've got such a way with words <laughs> so clear now oh thanks <laughs> don't you now get it we now know. Uh, <laughs> yeah it's sort of like when you're watching it, it you kind of get the gist of what, what's being said but don't look too too closely <laughs> it, otherwise you would give yourself a hernia or something but uh yeah uh, it's fine it you get the gist of it that's the main thing let's move mm. on <laughs> totally yeah. so the doctor and donna slip away and the doctor says she was right and sometimes he needs someone mm-hmm. um well so that was nice and then we cut to rome six months later and the family of uh started the new life mm-hmm. quintus is going to be a doctor of sorts mm-hmm. uh, what was evelina doing um, what was she doing? Oh, she was going out. And there was that whole joke, you're not going out dressed like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All the girls in Rome wear stuff like this. <laughs> you know. And Caecilius has got a new uh, a new contract and um, mm-hmm. something or other. Yeah, and his wife is just still still a housewife, I guess. Yeah, but, polishing, yeah. polishing metal scarabs. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we get the nice bit where Quintus goes to thank the household gods. And we see the shrine to the Doctor and Donna and the TARDIS. Yeah, bit cheesy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember uh, back back in the day, I I wasn't too keen on that. I thought that was a bit. Now I I think it's kind of, <laughs> it is still cheesy, but it's kind of sweet as well. So. So that was the fires of Pompeii. Before we get onto any conclusion or anything, uh, I thought this might be a little bit of a good opportunity to talk about. Um, Peter Capaldi's other characters. Um, he played Caecilius in this. He played a character called John Frobisher in Torchwood. Oh not yes, pe- yes he did. Yeah, yeah not yeah. not the penguin, the man. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say he played. Did he? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yes, he played Caecilius. He played um, in Children of Earth. He played Frobisher, and of course, eventually, he played the Twelfth Doctor. So, are these characters somehow connected? So, with his character of Frobisher, Russell T. Davis suggested that this may be a descendant of Caecilius. And he says that Frobisher's killing of his family, because Fro- Frobisher kills all his kids, he guns them down, shoots himself, that that's, that's bringing closure to Caecilius's family being saved. Um, right. And St- Stephen Moffat said that um, when Frobisher kills his, his kids and his wife and himself, that's time's way of reasserting itself. Right. <laughs> Bit dark. Uh, yeah, very dark. Uh, me personally, right, I don't like this. Uh, it, it, it's not my thing. I suppose it's, you know, it's, it can be fun for a lot of people, like, trying to make sense of all this. Uh, but for me, I've never really been uh, troubled by... A same actor appearing as a different character within the same universe i mean michael shared who um uh who's a, who was a good actor he played many parts in classic doctor who <laughs> um 
are we supposed to do all these mental somersaults to make sense of the, I can easily, even as a kid, it's like easily suspend my disbelief. Yes, I recognize the same character, but you know, it's completely separate. We didn't need any sort of ridiculous shenanigans to explain that Colin Baker plays Max Lenoch Infinity and later plays the Doctor. That, you know, you don't need to do all these mental somersaults. Mm. For some reason, New Doctor Who feels that it's got to do this, but only with Peter Capaldi. Yeah. Are we supposed to do this thing with Karen Gillan? How come she has... <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Amy was in this too. And I bet there was a Clara there somewhere. A version oh, of yeah. Clara. Been... <laughs> she gets everywhere, that bloody Clara. Um, but, uh... You know what? I haven't seen the new um, Five Doctors, but I'm scared to ask if Clara's in it. I, I don't want to know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> then I shan't tell you. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, obviously, Russell T. Davis had this on his mind, so that there was a connection. Um, R- Stephen Moffat also had it on his mind. These guys are notorious for their shit. They want to make everything connected. So, when Stephen Moffat took over and was, re- was cast in Peter Capaldi, he rang Russell T. Davis and he said, look... Is there a connection here? And Russell Davis, Russell T. Davis apparently said, "Yes, there is a big connection, and this is it." We don't know what, and which I'm so I'm guessing it was the family line in Torchwood, um, but Moffat doesn't quite run with that. He has a different explanation when it comes to Deep Breath in Capaldi's first episode. Hmm. Capaldi wonders like you know who frowned me this face and i guess most of us as the as the viewers kind of know what that means possibly thinking back to Pfizer pompeii mm-hmm. um later in an episode called the girl who died um, oh god yeah <laughs> capaldi <laughs> sorry not a has a flashback to yeah. Pfizer pompeii and uh-huh. he realizes that he chose this face to remind him um to ignore, blatantly ignore the laws of time. <laughs> yeah, uh, not so that's quite that. true, but yeah. No, no, sorry, <laughs> sorry not, not what you're saying, Rob. What you're saying is spot on. I mean, I think he took away the wrong. I think he took away the wrong lesson from that. Don't yeah. ignore the rules of time, but yeah, know, completely. You can a bit though. Save at least one yeah. person. <laughs> you maniac. Aye, but yeah. So, do you think? Are you not a fan of all this connection shit? No. <laughs> no, I'm not. No. Okay. I mean, the thing is, you, you, it's not as if you could... It, it's not as if it's one of those things where you can go, uh, you know, for a bit of fun, um, why is, you know, why does the Sixth Doctor make, you know, re- why does he look like Commander Maxa? Let's have some fun with that. If you got, you know, that that's fair enough. I, that's up to you if you, if you want to do that sort of thing and get some sort of like, you know, a bit of fun of trying to piece something together or make some sort of your own personal canon it's fine or from you know someone like myself are just going eh, i'm not really bothered um but the thing is with with peter capaldi it's you can't it you can't ignore it as i said i'm not a personal fan of this sort of thing i just don't think it's necessarily bugs the crap out of me mm. but um but the it's it's really on the nose and as you say in that episode um was it the girl who lived yeah the the girl who died Oh, the girl who died, or the girl—the woman who, who lived—was the second. Yeah, one. whatever it's called. Um, yeah, there's that whole, th- you know, the whole thing where I'm sure he's looking in a barrel of water and he's thinking, and then you get the flashback to the Pfizer Pompeii, and 
so it it is made a big deal out of and I'm, yeah i'm not a fan of it nah <laughs> it's just it's just i can accept that peter capaldi played one part and now he's playing another they completely mm. they don't have to be connected oh well uh, so during uh, the phase of lock, uh, lockdown, uh, Doctor Who lockdown, we got loads of um, little shorts and things made. There was one called The, the Descendants of Pompeii. And the two actors who returned was um, the ones who played the daughter and the mother. And they are descendants of them. Clearly, Frobisher forgot to shoot these people dead. <laughs> Typical politician didn't do a good job. No. <laughs> um, but that's up there if anyone wants to watch it. Um, it doesn't really add much, you know. Well, if that's but not it, ringing yeah, endorsement, Rob, much. I don't know what is. <laughs> no, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it doesn't. It's. An, I wouldn't really call it an epilogue, really. Just a hmm. bit of extra stuff. Fair enough. Yeah. It needs Frobisher to break in at the end and just gun them down. <laughs> just kicking the door down, shooting everyone in a blaze of bullets. Big semi-automatic. It'll be worth watching. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I've suddenly got this urge to... Uh, I want I want Peter Capaldi to play the Terminator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something I didn't realise I wanted, but now I do. <laughs> so um, this brings us on to our polling station. So each week... We run a poll on our website, cloisterbellpodcast.com, and we see what people think. So uh, let's head over to that now. Um, I will just like to add, the polls will remain open. So if you haven't voted and you're listening to this, you can go and add your vote. Um, if you don't agree with it, you can you know try and tip it in the other direction if you like. We'll see how that goes. So the fires of Pompeii. We asked, is it good, average, or bad? So, are you ready for the results, Liam? Yes, I am. It's good. Excellent. Oh, no, sorry, good. Okay. Good. Uh, 62.5% of you said it was good. 375 said it was average. No one said it was bad. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, we also got some feedback... So Ian Martin from All of Time and Space got in touch and said, so I can remember Phil Cornwell in this. That's the guy from the market. The Doctor is most unbearably messianic and Capaldi being really bland as Caecilius. I'm an outlier in my opinion that Series 4 was very weak, but this was one of the better offerings from the first half of the run. Okay, fair enough, yep. Fair enough. Um, Gary Yeager got in touch and said Fires of Pompeii was an excellent episode in which it ushered in the 12th Doctor Peter Capaldi I don't think that that, that was the intention of the episode <laughs> no no it wasn't but then you know they make they a thing. Let, let's on, make so... this a backdoor pilot for series 8 yeah but I mean it's, it's like what we were saying before but it has subsequently become that so he's not wrong yeah not wrong at all but yeah it is an excellent episode yeah um, Sonia got in touch and she said I enjoyed the fires of Pompeii and thought it really showed what kind of person Donna was also 
very cool to look back and see the future 12th Doctor and a future Amy Pond. It's full of cameos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. I mean, it's quite an amazing thing that you got this uh, this one episode which contains two actors that would come on to play huge different, roles. Different eras, on. yeah. Yeah, yeah, as well, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. We've got a comment. This one, it says it's from Rob's adoring wife. Uh, she said, the spiders, no, just no. And I think she's um, talking I'll about the, to the website. For the website, yeah. Um, if you head to the website now, it's full of bugs. Not like glitches, but, you know, it's, it's Halloween month. This happens every year. Our website just gets infested with spiders and flies. <laughs> it's thematic. Um, <laughs> right, okay, so so your beloved wife, Rob, is not a fan of that. No. She um, has taste. Yeah. She's got nothing to say on the fires of Pompeii, but, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like her opinions on the go without saying, Rob. She thinks it's good. It's just she's just questioning the website. Yeah, not a fan. So, yeah, thanks for getting in touch. Um, have you got any other feedback from anyone, Liam? Um, I'll double check, but I don't think I have. Um, no problem. Give me a second. Okay. Um, well, I'll just take this chance to thank you all for getting in touch and voting. Um, you can visit the Poland station on the website and uh, vote on future stories that we'll be discussing. There's quite a few up there now. And you can also send us feedback with a written response or maybe a one-minute voice clip um, to feedback at cloisterbellpodcast.com. Um, and remember, if you haven't voted for Fires of Pompeii, you can go there now and add your vote. Um, did you find any, Liam? Uh, no, no, that was... Uh, that's no, that's it. Back. Okay, fair enough. So, yeah, I guess that takes us on to our conclusion. Whew, uh, I enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. It's qu- obviously quite remarkable because it has all these little cameos in from, like, Peter Capaldi and Karen Gillan and the fact that uh, we have the whole 12th Doctor stuff linked to this. Um, but that aside, I, I thought it was quite an interesting story um, with the whole moral dilemma of um, having to save the world but kill everybody. Uh, it was a nice twist at the end. Um, like you said earlier, Liam, it, it wasn't too heavy on that earlier on in the story. But yeah, the, these 40-odd minute episodes are quite short anyway, so there's only so much that can squeeze in there. Mm-hmm. It was entertaining. It, visually, it was great. Yeah, it was good. So yeah, I, I rated good. Yeah, completely agree i think it was an enjoyable episode uh it was written well i think the the moral dilemma was was pitched just well not too heavy but not too obviously not too trivial you can't trivialize something like that but no it was it was done really well and i liked the performances i thought it was uh well directed as well yeah i think it's uh i think it's good i like it as well that's good so coming soon next week on the podcast on episode 131 uh liam would you like to reveal what that is Yes, we're going way back uh, to the early 60s to our William Hartnell story and we will be discussing Planet of Giants. I think if anyone wants to head to Patreon, that episode should be available right now. Do you think, Liam? Yes. Yeah, uh, this is our first week back, but I'm pretty sure we'll be doing 
early access a full week in advance. Um, so that gives yeah, people not, the op- not the uh, yeah you're getting an episode in advance ten minutes before we fi- no it's not quite that bad but you know it's, it's yeah for- it's usually ten minutes to midnight. <laughs> Technically, it's yeah. the day before. Um, but yeah, yeah. I know, but it has been, yeah has been pushing it a bit. But. Yeah, but I think that's um, shown our gratitude to the patrons for the continued support. Um, yeah, very much. But so. also, it's, it's a nice little perk if anyone's listened to the podcast and they want to go and check out next week's. They can, yeah. <laughs> So that'll be interesting. Also, coming soon, the week after that, we'll be returning to Pompeii with the seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy's uh, big finish story, The Fires of Vulcan, featuring the soon-to-be-returning companion, Melanie Bush, played by Bunny Langford, in her very first audio drama. Mm-hmm. In the coming weeks, we might have more to say on the anniversary. Uh, we may be doing a live stream on YouTube some point mm-hmm. but yeah i think that's it from me and that's Anything? it from me great well see you around goodbye everyone thanks bye everyone